The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host today, kind of a spiritual journeyman and media producer type guy. I run a website with online courses called youthrivehere.com, and I'm at the Center for Spiritual Living Greater Baltimore at cslgreaterbaltimore.org. Joining me today, my superhero co-host, Spiritual Rebel Sarah Boa, and Sarah's the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? Oh, Jim, I have to admit I'm about half frozen. We've got four feet of snow over here. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we've gotten some snow, and I we're expecting more snow this week. Like, virtually every day, they're telling us there's going to be a few inches of snow. It's it's definitely winter. I went out to feed the birds today, and I was in snow above my knees. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I guess winter is here. I think it might be. And what about the squirrels? Do the squirrels have their picnic table? So the squirrel's picnic table is completely covered in snow, and the deer are now coming to the squirrel's picnic table. So there's all sorts of interspecies madness going on in our yard with everyone (laughs) wanting to be fed because all the natural food is under four feet of snow. Right, right. Well, it's nice for them to, you know, get get a chance to sit down and have a sandwich or something together at at a nice table that you've provided there. Exactly. And they don't have to social distance. (laughs) Exactly. So you spoke virtually at the UN recently, and I want to hear about it. Tell us about that. Sure. So the first week of February every year is called World Interfaith Harmony Week. And that's been going on since 2010. And it's a whole bunch of different events that are centered around promoting peace and nonviolence. And so there are things that happen at the UN. Of course, we were we were virtual this year, Uh, but there were events for an entire week of different ways of lifting up different voices of peace and nonviolence and spiritual practice and prayer. And so I did a piece on um, loving thy animal neighbors. So we did a animal meditation and then a a conversation about what does uh, planetary nonviolence look like from a interspecies level. So it was a a great event. And each week, okay, save the date, folks, for next year, the first week in, in February every year. Oh, that's wonderful. Can we watch that anywhere on online at this point? I think it's, I think the events will be up on YouTube at some point, but I don't know exactly where they are yet. 
um, that the tech gods uh, deal with that piece. But if you Google World Interfaith Harmony Week, that would be the player. It's actually W-I-H-W is the acronym and could get all sorts of information on what's available. Oh, that's so cool. That's quite an honor. That's really, really awesome that you were invited and that you were able to do that. Yeah, you know, this idea of peace and nonviolence right now in the middle of activism and what do those things look like together? What does it look like to speak up for for justice in a way that also promotes peace and nonviolence? I think it's a question a lot of us have right now. So we were all doing it in, in various different ways there. Uh, supported by the UN, which is which is great, because then it's it's a global conversation. Absolutely, as it needs to be, as it needs yeah. to be. So one of the things we're going to be uh, talking with uh, the author, business guru Yannick Silver today, um, is oracle cards that he he created, Cosmic Journey oracle cards. And um, I know we've talked a little bit about this before, but I mean, I use oracle cards as an inspiration for the day. You know, I don't necessarily follow everything or, you know, do any certain patterns or anything, but I like to pull a card just to kind of get a sense for the day. And I know you, you use the I Ching in, in certain ways like that. And you also, do you use cards as well? I do use cards and I use them with my students a lot to actually mail them a card every month. Oh, um, cool. So, so I go through a lot of card decks because I'm always cutting them apart to send separate cards to people, but I've really enjoyed Yannick's deck because it's very playful. And it has something a little different. I know we'll be talking about with him, but there's a journaling aspect, which makes it feel very much like what I do with the I Ching. The idea of the card comes up and then you think about, you know, what does that mean? And what are the questions? Today, my card was so awesome, Jim. I pulled the cosmic giraffe. Oh, that's a good one. Who knew? Who knew there was a cosmic giraffe? So the cosmic giraffe and what what was the uh, what was the emphasis of that? So it's an archetype card in Yannick's deck. And so there were a bunch of questions I was supposed to ask. But what I liked about it is it said, if I could see higher and farther, what would I see? Mm. And I've been getting a little bit stuck in the details lately. There's a mm -hmm. lot I'm doing and a lot that's going on and a lot that's pulling for my attention. And so this idea of being a cosmic giraffe and trying to look at uh, maybe not at what all the little busy stuff that needs to be done but what's the biggest bigger picture yeah that was helpful for me this morning yeah how about you what what have you been pulling well you know to be honest I, I cheated today and in lieu of my official quote I wanted to read from the card I pulled uh from the from the uh, oracle is that okay oh I don't think that's cheating at all I think that sounds very inspired <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, I chose uh, the card that says uh close your eyes to open your heart. What he, what he explains here is that the ultimate seeing eye dog is at hand, just look again, it's spelled backwards. If you give up your limited perspective and see through the eyes of spirit, you would see that everything is perfectly unfolding in the exact right order and timing. Your greatest vision will never come from seeing outward. It only It's only by looking inside. Trust yourself to look beyond your physical eyes. Close your eyes to open your heart. Who said the limit was what you can see right now? And so how does that resonate for you? Well, you know, it, it resonates very deeply for me. Um, sometimes I do get lost, like you said, in the details. You need to keep that that bigger vision in mind and, and go beyond, really reach your heart and go beyond what you can physically see, what you can, what's 
in your purview right now. And that's a real reminder for me. I sometimes, I, I don't know if I've ever expressed this on the show, but um, I, I have dealt with depression for a long time in my life, uh, most of my life, really. And so reading this kind of reminds me to open up and, you know, see from a higher perspective, like you, like your giraffe card, you know, seeing from a higher perspective that's not so stuck in an old track or an old um, view of myself or of what can happen. Yeah, I think one of the things with cards for me is that after I pull that card and I read is taking time to sit with my eyes closed or taking time in silence or taking time to let the card settle in and do a little spiritual practice around it instead of just like setting it on my desk and being like, okay, yay, cosmic draft card today, let's go, right? But to let it to let it settle in. So I'm wondering when you pulled that today, did you spend any time with your eyes closed? I did, you know, I do, I have a practice of meditating every morning these days. Um, well, most mornings. Um, and I think I just let it hit my heart, you know, and, and kind of let it sink in a little bit. Um, I really value this perspective. So it really, you know, it's sunk, sunk it sank into me um just the the reality of this inner vision i think also when you mentioned depression i i've also dealt with depression and the opposite of depression the the ultra high right and so sometimes using tools like this can help uh change a thought we say in 12 step move a muscle you know change change a thought move a muscle mm -hmm. but the idea of getting unstuck i like that unstuck or perhaps putting a focus somewhere else because if you're in well, speak for myself, when I'm in one of those moods, and when the depression won't lift, and I feel yeah. like it won't end, and it won't go away, yeah, some sort of little something to snip the head out of it into the heart into the spirit somewhere can be just what just what we need to release it. And I know so many of us deal with that. And right now with the pandemic, with it being winter with being inside, uh, perhaps we we all need to be hitting Oracle cards two or three times a day. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm still pushing Sarah to do Oracle cards on her work. You know, I'm, I'm annoying. Thinking, I'm annoying. No, her you're not about annoying that. me. I've been <laughs> I've been thinking about it. And I've been journaling about it, Jim. And, and I do think that there are spiritual rebel cards coming sometime Yay. soon. Yay. Uh, perhaps the cosmic giraffe will help me with that. But I would I would like to do a deck because it's something that is an important practice for me. And, and I also think when we work with decks a lot, you know, they, they have different feels to them and they have different, um, just like Yannick's deck has kind yes. of a neat little career. So I'm not going to give a spoiler alert yet on what I'm thinking here with the spiritual rebel cards, but I will keep you all posted. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Now, do you have a quote today? I do, but I feel like now I want to pick one out of the book. <laughs> Whatever you want. Whatever feels good to We're you. We're going to do that. We're going to do the go to Yannick's book and just pull a quote out right now instead of the one that I have. What you've got here is not the same thing as what you'll need to evolve into a pure light body merging back into source. Mm. Ooh, this feels like when I was a kid and you used to open the Bible up and just, you know, rip through it and stick your finger somewhere. Right. Um, 
I like that. I like the idea of what I need to evolve into a pure light body merging back into, I would say, the force. Yes, the force. Well, the force is with you. And also with you, Jim. All right. Are you ready to dive into our episode? I am. I've got the cosmic giraffe and let's go. Let's go. And now it's time for our interview. Yannick Silver has been called the Cosmic Catalyst, a maverick mischief maker, and a galactic goofball. I like that in a person. He, re- he redefines how business is played in the 21st century at the intersection of more profits, more fun, and more impact. Yannick is the creator of the Cosmic Journal, author of Evolved Enterprise, and the founder of Maverick 1000, a global network of top entrepreneurs and visionary entrepreneurs making a serious difference in the world without taking themselves too seriously. Participants have included Sir Richard Branson, Sarah Blakely, Tony Hawk, Russell Simmons, Tim Ferriss, and many others. His lifetime goal is to connect visionary leaders and game changers to catalyze business models and new ideas for solving 100 of the world's most impactful issues by the year 2100. Hi, Yannick, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Jim. Yeah, excited. Hi, Sarah. Hey there. Um, I just want to mention that uh, two key important notes about uh, about Yannick is that he won the Oscar Mayer Wiener Ice Hockey Shoutout co- Championship <laughs> twice as a kid. And even, e- even more impressive to me is that he dressed as a showgirl in Vegas to surprise Sir Richard Branson on stage before a keynote in front of about 3,000 people or so. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, that that Oscar Mayer shootout winner, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever, you know, they still do that anymore, but my, my men's league hockey team still are on, on the rare occasion I get a breakaway, they they do yell, Oscar Mayer! Because I only have one move on my, on my breakaways. Uh, and then the showgirl thing is, is real too. That, that was that was quite, quite funny. I bet it was. That must have been a blast. So, um, you know, we're going to dive into, I definitely want to dive into the social entrepreneurship side of things. And, uh, but I want to dive into these cards that you created, the Cosmic right. Journal, Journey uh, Oracle cards, because I think they're, they're so awesome. I find them fun and in- inspiring. And, you know, as Sarah and I were talking about earlier in the show, you know, we pull from them every day. Uh, I pull them from them every day. And, uh, you know, so you wrote and, and illustrated them. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it all started actually with something called the Cosmic Journal. So I'm a huge journaler, uh, journaling for many, many years and do that every day. And then I, I wanted to have a challenge for myself. And I saw this art challenge going around online for 100 days of creating art. And I thought, oh, that'd be interesting. Let me do that. Uh, but, uh, but what do I love the most? I'm like, let me, let me create an art page in my journal every single day. So like I would meditate and whatever came through me. And instead of 100 days, more meaningful to me was 108 days. In the wisdom traditions and and so that that was what i did and then from that journal came these cards i love it i love it so i i'm curious um do you what kind of you talked about journaling tell, tell me yeah. why journaling is so important to you and important to, for us to do i do journal myself and i think sarah does as well yeah yep yeah i mean journaling is is really like one of the secret weapons uh especially like the more things you have going on in your life and who doesn't right now but it's, it's like it gets everything out of our heads, the same thoughts and the same patterns that we have and the same stories, and it puts it on paper and allows you to create a beginning, middle, and end on the page. And it's actually been scientifically proven uh, to make you happier. 
And, and so to me, that's, that's a really good thing. But then you start adding a lot of other things. So like, there's no right or wrong way to journal. A lot of people have either tried journaling, given it up, or maybe never tried it and, you know, think of it as too complicated, or they're worried that maybe their, their kids will snoop around and find it or their, their wife or husband or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. And the journal is really only meant for you. And so if you're worried about anything like that, then, you know, just hide it somewhere or keep it under lock and key somewhere. Um, you know, the, the more, the deeper you go in there, the more you get out of it. Uh, and, and it really is this really great way of, of ferreting out insight. And, and the longer you do it, the better. And, and you don't need, by longer, I mean, not like longer hour per day or two hours, but the longer time period. So it's not like an instant on off switch. Uh, if you do it for one day, you will see a benefit. But if you start doing it for a month or, you know, years, it's really fascinating to then go back and be like, oh, I was worried about this thing. It's not really a big deal. So now it gives you more confidence when you're tackling other things, or it's like, oh, this was a really good idea, or this was, you know, something else. And, and so you keep going back and you learn more and more about yourself. But I, I suggest to people just a little experiment. So it could be 21 days, 33 days, you know, whatever you want to take, but create a little 10 minute window and just do that each, each day and, and then see what happens. And then you can decide. I love experiments because you can decide at the end, do I want to keep it or not keep it in my life? I'm curious, what other kinds of, you, you definitely have this very open spiritual, you know, perspective, which we love because that's us too. You know, we're, we're very open to all kinds of philosophies. And, and I'm wondering what other kinds of spiritual practices that you do to start your day or, or any kind of practices that you do to start your day. Yeah. Uh, so, so the journaling actually is at night. So typically for me, it's, it's before I go to bed because it's my way of processing the day. Uh, and then my other core practices are, are yoga and, and meditation. So those are usually my, my, the pillars, um, not yoga, maybe not every day, but almost every day. Um, and, and then meditation now has become a twice a day thing. And it's fascinating because, you know, as an entrepreneur, I thought I, I have a million ideas a minute running through my head and I never thought I could actually quiet it down enough to meditate. And then one, one of my friends is one of the leading meditation instructors. Uh, I was speaking at his seminar and he was teaching his process. And I went out and went snorkeling in Maui. And because I could, you know, you could hear your breath. That was the place that I, I started, started first. And then I had like a little bit of a magical experience where uh, all these fish enveloped me. And, and I think a lot of times when we're on our path of a spiritual uh, awakening or spiritual path in some way like there's some sort of wink from the universe that shows up and it's like hey this is pretty good you should keep going and that was it like being enveloped by a school of silver fish was was, was pretty good for me to say yeah okay you, you, can, you can keep trying this and again like an experiment so I added it and said okay I'm going to see if this helps and then and then I did add it but you know the twice a day hasn't been when I first started it's been a accumulation does the meditation directly relate to the journaling? Do you do it before the journaling or is it independent of it? Both. Uh, I, I have found, you know, for years I would just journal like before bed, but now that I have this stronger meditation practice, I'll meditate first and then journal. And absolutely it gets you to a quieter space and, and then you're able to, to really come to it from, from a more expansive spot as well. How did you get to the per spiritual perspective that you, this is not an easy question, <laughs> but how did you get the kind of the spiritual um, uh, perspective that you've got now? I mean, you know, I've, we've talked about how we, we've come from different philosophies when growing up as kids and it's kind of evolved into to, to 
different things that we do now. What was kind of your path on that? You know, it's funny. As a kid, I was really into like um, sacred sites and parapsychology and all sorts of stuff and UFOs. And and then uh, I just like put it all away for a long time and and then was in the business world and marketing space. And then it actually took me, I was always, you know, intrigued a little bit by it, but it was never a big part of my, my life. And then uh, had a lot of success. And then when I I had about 12 years ago, I asked myself a really simple question, which was, am I happy? Would I be happy 10 years from now doing what I'm doing? And from the outside looking in, everything was great, making a lot of money, helping a lot of people, great family, you know, great reputation. And, but, but if I was really honest, the answer was no, like I wasn't fully happy. I thought there was a bigger impact I could have. And that's when I'm like, okay, well, what would it look like? And, and that's when I started this other journey. And before that, every single thing I touched, every business venture was like, okay, it's easy. It would work. And then this was the first time I put out something and it, and it didn't quite work the same way as everything else. Like, like it was, it was, I lost my passion for the other stuff that was paying all the bills. And then this had a much bigger passion, but it wasn't working. And it really forced me to go back deeper and deeper into a spiritual practice and, and surrender even and, and, and take away like our identities as entrepreneurs is so connected to like our net worth being our, our self-worth and all mm-hmm. these things. Yes, yes. And, and it just really forced me to go back to almost like bedrock and be like, you know, I've studied personal transformation for 25 years. Let's go back to what are the basics and, and what, what do I really, you know, what do I want to look at? And then it opened up a whole nother avenue and, and it was, it was really powerful. I think in our culture, and I can speak myself is that, you know, a lot of my identity does come from the things that I do. And it's so important, you know, I'm learning this every day, and it's still something that I struggle with, you know, to, to, to say, okay, I am not what I do. You know, I am not this work that I want to do in the world. I'm, I'm that, but I'm more than that. Yeah. And that's, to me, a lot of these spiritual practices, I've probably almost every single one is identifying that we are beyond that we're, you know, we're not, we're not what we are doing, but, but that, that true being, like, it doesn't matter what you do in the world, just, just for being, you, you are able to, to receive love and appreciation and, and, and simply to exist is, is that joy. Uh, and, and, you know, it was really fascinating because on that journey, um, I ended up selling my Aston Martin and, uh, you know, it, I still had plenty of money in the bank, but it wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, let's go lease something else to like keep up appearances. Like I was like, oh, let me, let me sit with, uh, I had this kind of beat up MDX. That was my third car. And, and then it got to the point finally when I could actually appreciate and love that MDX because I could throw my paddle boards in there and, and they would be dirty. I would never have to detail the MDX. I never have to worry about where I was parking it. And, and when I finally got to that appreciation, then I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'm ready for another car or something else. But, but I didn't have that same need to get the, the hot sports car anymore. I just, uh, it, it was just like it opened up in a whole different way and I could just be more content and peaceful in exactly where I was. And I wanna make sure that our audience knows we are gonna dive into the entrepreneurship uh, part of things as well. But I, I'm just curious, you know, uh, you, you talked about nine categories in your daily return path to bliss, joy, and, and happiness. I, I just want to mention a meaning, movement, mix, mastery, mindfulness, mentor, mentee, multiply, momentum, magic. I don't expect you to go through <laughs> every one of them right now, but, you know, out of that list, pull something that, that really speaks to you and might speak to the audience, if you don't mind, or yeah. I can pull something for you. 
Well, one of my favorites is Magic. Um, and what does that so mean? That, yeah, so those, those nine, just to back up, was like when I, when I kind of felt like things weren't working, things are going sideways, it went back to bedrock. And those are the nine things that if I did those each day, I knew I had a great day and, and then set up a great week and, you know, and so forth. And, but magic is this, this piece of like finding magic in the world and synchronicities and, and just, uh, you know, these little winks from the universe. And, and actually we just had one on, you know, right before we started recording where, where Sarah's talking about, you know, I love the cards and I just pulled the sword. Going on about the giraffe. Yeah. And, and literally I'm like, you know, it might be fun to pull a card or do something on air. And as I'm doing that, I, I open it up and it's, and it's, you know, the exact same card and there's 55 of them. So yeah. you know that that to me is one of these little make magic moments, and that's when you know, you know, when you're in flow and that that synchronicity show up, like that feeling of awe and wonder and magic, and and trying to cultivate that. The more awareness you bring to that, the more it shows up, and the more you know that you're you're on path. And and so we've actually uh, incorporated that into something that we do with our with our kids, with our family. It's something we call the thirteen silver keys, which is kind of like our core family values, and one of them is make magic. And it's hmm. looking for and cultivating that that magic. So magic is something that you cultivate. It's not just something that happens necessarily. It's bringing awareness to to seeing that there is magic all around you all the time, and then also uh, finding these synchronicities or meaningful coincidences that 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 have tremendously more. Like I can give you a super quick story about the kids that really brought it home, which is uh, I was kind of teaching them, hey, you know what you think about starts showing up. They're like, okay, whatever. And, and we were going on a road trip and, and my daughter's like, oh, I want to see a, a, a dog. And my, my son's like, I want to see a horse. And, and we immediately saw that. And mm. I'm like, okay, that was super easy. You know, let's do something more difficult. And my wife's like, okay, a penguin. I'm like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> a penguin. And, but, but I knew that it would show up. It was just like, how is it going to show up? And so yeah. we were visiting camps and we went and we're touring just one camp and we only went into one bunk. And I see a piece of artwork on a kid's bunk, and it was a penguin. I'm like, I'm like, my wife's name is Missy. I'm like, Miss, look, here's the penguin. She's like, Oh my god! <laughs> and, and then we're talking about that on the way home with the kids, and they're they're like excited. And um, my daughter's like, Okay, I want to see a polar bear. I'm like, Cool, I want to see an ice cube. And we got off the road uh, because there was a ton of traffic, and we got off the road and and we went into this little convenience store. We don't have to compete. And on the ice machine is an ice cube with a polar bear inside of it. And my daughter's jaw just drops. And it's like, you know, so make magic has been ingrained in their, in their minds ever since. Awesome. That's amazing. Well, we're going to take a, a quick break, but before we do that, uh, I have a, I have a question for you. That's really important. Um, Star Wars prequels or sequels, which is better? <laughs> oh man. Uh, I think the prequels. Really? Really? Well, the prequels Oh wait. So we're we talking the original three not, the original three are classic we're we're not touching those yeah okay so is it the prequels or the sequels? yeah no it's the sequels then thank like you yes yeah, like, jim uh, was, was trying to figure out if we were coming back from break or not yeah i was i was concerned. yeah no, i don't i don't even think i've seen all of the prequels because they were not that interesting they were but not the sequels i've seen they were not very interesting all right i just had to ask that question before we take a break because it's so important We'll be right back. We'll be right back on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Practical spirituality. Positive messages. 
This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to a slightly off-kilter look at spirituality. This is Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Well, welcome back to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Okay, so let's dive into Evolved Enterprise, which is the, the name of your book. And um, I, I want to know, what exactly do you consider an evolved enterprise? So, yeah, an evolved enterprise is this idea that business can be the greatest lever for good in the world and increase profits and and get your team aligned in a greater way and get customers to want to buy more and do this. And like, it's, it's just everything. And so an evolved enterprise to me is some a company that moves from being simply transactional to transformational to even transcending what business can be. What does that mean? Transactional is just a, a, a exchange of money for goods. Exactly right, and it's like you know you can think of it as there's not much customer loyalty. It's like one onion is is as good as another onion, and then you're only buying based on price or, and then maybe a little bit of brand. But then transformational is everyone's identity is is enhanced and and transformed who's who's associated with the company. So hmm. everyone meaning. The, the, the team itself, the customers, the community that it serves, um, and, and even the vendors, like so everyone. And then transcending is using your business in a completely different way. So I'll give you one quick example. So this evolved enterprise, you know, this has become more and more standard and companies are all, like I, I actually said this in Forbes, quoted me in, in, by saying that co- companies without a, uh, a, a impact component to what they do are going to be at a competitive disadvantage. And, and you start seeing this more and more because it's happening from customer buying behavior changing where customers want to buy from companies that have a greater mission and, and purpose. And then people want to work for companies that, that have a greater purpose and mission. So it's happening from outside in and inside out. But this idea of transcending is, is another higher level. It's like, like imagine if you could take something that was looked at as a competitive disadvantage or groups that were traditionally disadvantage and, and say, okay, how do we turn that into an advantage and a competitive advantage? So there's one company um, that does quality control testing across different browser platforms. Mm-hmm. And, and so it requires a lot of um, just attention to detail and repetitive tasks and so forth. And so they said, okay, let's, let's hire people on the autism spectrum scale mm-hmm. because traditionally they, you know, that those qualities are something that, that, they are really high in. And so it becomes a competitive advantage that they have a workforce that has more people on, on the spectrum. And so that that's a transcending idea to me. I love this because there's been so much now about kind of token social good. The idea yeah. of, you know, I buy such and such a product and 1% goes to such and such, which seems to me so limiting in terms of the impact that it can have and always has me questioning, you know, is that enough? And does that really matter? And should I just not buy the product and give to the organization? You know, there's so much that's wrapped up in there. So this idea of transcending seems like it's not that. Yeah, it's, it's a different way of looking at it. And, and not every company gets there, but they, they can think about, so there's five big lever points in your business, which are, you know, your actual product or service itself, the, the talent in the organization, uh, your distribution channel, uh, your, um, like your, your employees, I call this empowered employment. So like, what is the way of, of actually, so the talent is like the ideas, but empowered employment is like bringing uh, opportunity, like we were talking about to, to people on the autism spectrum scale. 
And, and the other is, is your voice um, and, and, and your capital, like, you know, but even beyond capital. So there's all these different leverage points within, within the company and, and supply chain. So, so like looking at all the different ways that you can make a difference and, and it's beyond like, oh, let's just add a dollar and we donate it to so-and-so. And, and that to me is a little bit more transactional. Now, some companies are doing it where, where it is more integrated and, and maybe there's, you know, ways that their team is involved in, in the impact that they're doing. But if it's done in a way that is, like you said, tokenization, or it's like, you know, these terms like greenwashing or even pinkwashing and like different things, like it has to come from an authentic place or else there's so much transparency now that, that it's going to become uh, something that backfires on the company typically. So when you're talking about, you're talking about corporations or larger corporations, this can be applied to a small business or to a, a solopreneur as well. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, that's my world is bootstrapped entrepreneurs. And, and so you don't need, I think the bigger companies are at a disadvantage. Like smaller companies are, have the opportunity to be nimble and truly stand for something where, where the founders say, this is why I started this or why this is why I'm doing or, or tapping back into their why and, and saying, okay, now this is how I can wrap up our impact and what we're doing in, in the product or service that we're delivering. So I think we have a big, bit bigger advantage by being smaller here because people want to buy from other people. And, and so there's an opportunity to showcase your own personality and your own story. I definitely want to dive into this some more, uh, but I want to ask you something that you said that I really liked in the book. Um, you say that entrepreneurship can, entrepreneurship can be the ultimate expression of artistry and love. And I, yeah. I love that. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. What, what do you mean by that? I look at all entrepreneurs as artists and, and creatives. And, and so it's like, how do we create this business model? And, and that idea of even like transcending being the highest level, potentially like that is true art and looking at it from like this, this palette that you have and, and saying, okay, I have, I have this opportunity to buy from this, you know, from this supply chain or this, this supplier. And, and then that has a better story that we can tell here. And then what is the way that we can, we can do this? And, and because I care about, I don't know, like reclaimed wood and I care about uh, bringing plastics out of the ocean or whatever, like you can look at all these different things and it does really become art um, and a creative venture and, and, and like a feeling of, of play even. I like the philosophy that you start out with that we mentioned earlier is make more, have more fun and give more. And you talk about um, giving more, not giving back. Um, which, what, what do you mean by that? So I started as a copywriter. So words are incredibly important. And I think your words create your world even. And so you can learn so much about people anyway, just from the language that they use and how they talk and speak. And, uh, but, but so the words, you know, this, this word give back or phrase give back has become kind of ubiquitous. And it's like, to me, we don't always realize that like, to me, there's, there's guilt involved in that. Like, it's like, oh, give back that like, you've taken something now. So now, you know, it's your opportunity to give back. And I don't think a lot of people mean it like that when they talk about it, but it is that that's implied in, in those words. So as entrepreneurs, you, the only way you survive as a business is by providing value. And, and if you're providing value, then, then you're, you're essentially, you know, you're not taking, you're, 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 you're contributing value. And so this idea of, of give back doesn't, doesn't resonate for me. And so it's, it's like, how do we create new vocabulary? So even just the word give or impact to me has more of what we're trying to say here. And how do you, how do you cultivate that? How, how do we learn to give more? 
I think it's just a natural expression. I think most people love to give. Uh, they just think that sometimes that if they're given too much, then maybe they're, they're not going to be able to, to receive back enough or if like, like they, it, it, it comes from maybe trusting that there's a natural cycle in the universe, which is give and receive. And it's just like breathing, right? Like we can't only breathe out. We have to, we have to breathe in. Uh, but it, it is like, like, we're just naturally wired to give because it feels really good to do that. But then we get to the spot of like, oh, we get in our own heads about, well, if I do this, then how am I ever going to make a living by just giving? And, <laughs> and, and but, but really, if you are giving and it has a, like a model attached to it, then, then it, it feels great. And, and it can be financially viable and, and even hopefully in a way that, that is joyfully abundant. We were talking a little bit earlier about, you know, feeling younger generations or current generations feeling like they need to really connect with with what they're doing and i that really resonates with me because i you know as as i've tried in other positions to to just do it for what they want to do just do the transactional thing on my personal level and i can't do it yeah. i literally can't do it i have to i have to like what i do i have to feel like it's making a an impact um and fun's a part of that um when i started at discovery channel it was small and it was so much fun because we got to do so many different kinds of things because we were tiny um and and that you know it became more of a corporation and and became less fun for me uh, just personally i know other people you know enjoyed continuing why is fun important um to us and in, in having this greater meaning yeah so my uh every year actually on winter solstice i kind of set my theme for the year and, and my theme this year is, is play, like, like creating the new rules uh, for, for a new world. And my new rule is, uh, is play fully and fully is in parentheses. So this idea of, of playing, but also fully, like fully expressing who you are. So I think there's actually a great book by a guy named Stuart Brown, who's a either PhD or doctor and something, but, but he talks about how mammals have to play. Like it's just wired within us. Uh, that's how we learn. That's how we socialize. That's how all these different things come about is, is play. And, and mammals are, are really the only species that, that play just for the sake of play as well. And, and, but not like, have you ever been in a room or sitting at a table where, where like people are just playing like at their highest level, like, the, you know, they're, they're putting, you know, whatever their unique ability is or their genius, like that's, that's play for them. And that's, that to me is play fully. Like, so, so that is, it, it's just so much fun. Like, I don't know, there's no other way of expressing it. It's just that, that is fun. And, and most people think about, oh, play is, we're going to have silly hat day or whatever at work or, or now on Zoom or whatever. But sometimes that's forced and it, like, it has to feel, again, like, like the impact side, it has to be genuine and authentic. And, um, it, but, but allow yourself to also be goofy and, and silly. And, uh, and, but as long as it's from an authentic place, like people will, will play along with you. How much do you think spontaneity is part of that? As you know, that's like being in flow with the universe. Like if you're, if you're forcing it, it's not spontaneity. And, and that's where it feels like, oh, well, I'm trying to force the fun. But the spontaneity, like if something comes up, um, like it, it's, it's usually so much better. Like that feels like improv and it feels like, like jazz, like, like you're playing with, 
each other and, and, and playing off of each other. And, and that's, that's tremendous fun. And that is true play. What's the cosmic alarm clock to you? <laughs> uh, the cosmic alarm clock is this like little voice that gets louder and louder and louder until we either answer it or we hit snooze. And, <laughs> and it shows up at, in different times in our lives, I think, um, at like this divine timing. And, and so a lot of times you can look back on your own life and, and you know, you, you had that, that little voice that, that kept kind of whispering something. Usually it's about, hey, there's something more here or there's something bigger or, you know, and it usually makes very little sense logically. Hmm, that's uh, interesting. It, and, it, and it's just like this. And, and then if you, if you hit snooze and ignore it, like, some, like it really feels like your soul is dying each day that you're not doing something that you're more aligned. I call it connecting your head, your heart and your higher purpose. And, and, and each day as you're not doing it, like you really do feel like, like your soul is dying a little bit until you either, you know, like continue to numb yourself in some way. And, and we have lots of ways of doing that. Um, or, or, or literally take that, that leap and following your heart is oftentimes scary, uh, but, but never wrong. But how do you know that you've hit upon what, what works for you, you know, as a, as a person working in the world? It's great. That is a great question. And that's probably one of the biggest questions I think everyone continues to, to think about and wrestle with, which is, you know, why am I here? What, what am I meant to be doing? What is, what's the most important thing? What's, you know, like, so, but that idea of play actually is, is a great, is kind of a great GPS marker for it. So what feels like play for you? So you start almost like, there, there's a lot of ways, almost like different facets of, of a diamond. You start looking at yourself from these different lenses you know, what feels like play to me? And then that becomes one facet. What, what gives me joy? Sometimes they're the same thing. What, um, what is something that I would do regardless if anyone ever paid me at all? Um, and you start separating out that part. Um, there, there's a great uh, concept in the Bhagavad Gita that talks about that we're only entitled to our labor and not the fruits of our labor. Mm. And so, so many times, especially as entrepreneurs, we're attached to what is the outcome? Is this thing going to work or not work? Yes. But if, we, if we're doing something just for the sheer joy and excitement and inspiration that we have and enthusiasm um, without being attached to the outcome, and that, it's difficult at times for sure. Uh, but if you can do that more times than not, something incredible is going to happen. Like this Cosmic Journal, like that's where it came from was the 108 days of, you know, no, no one can see this on video, but this is one of the original ones. And, and that's, you know, just creating that created this entire new expression of, of who I am and now have things like talking to you and Sarah and, and that never would have happened before uh, because I probably wouldn't have gotten on your radar because I was more in the entrepreneurial space mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it's just following that you know there's there's a, a Joseph Campbell I think quote talking about that uh, that that where where there are once uh, where there are once only uh, walls uh, doors will appear when you follow your bliss mm -hmm. and, and bliss has been misconstrued as like only, Oh, what, what makes me happy only and happiness, like, you know, ice cream cone can make me happy, but if I eat too many ice cream cones, it's going to give me a stomach ache. To me, that is like, what's fully utilized and how do I show up as my greatest self and, and, and feeling like this empty husk when I'm done. 
the you know putting your full heart into something how do you disconnect from the outcome i mean i mean you've got for instance, <laughs> don't get attached to the fruits jim <laughs> but i'm talking about you know you might have shareholders or investors and you know you're you're making trying to make a living and all that stuff how do you disconnect from that so that it's you're able to to still put your full heart into it without that uh, attachment to to results it's something i struggle with <laughs> yeah well it's it's a balancing act for sure and and so we we're really good at coming up with reasons why we can't do something um and and so i'd like you know again journaling is a great tool for this is if you go back and think about okay what were times when i made a big giant leap or what were times that that, you know, I wasn't sure I should do this or not, but I followed my intuition and I followed this little tiny voice or I followed, you know, this little inkling of, of an idea that, that I was really enthusiastic about, but I had zero, you know, logical reason that it could turn into anything. And then you start like getting more and more confidence by seeing how those were dots that connect into something else. And then you're like, okay, now, you know, I, I feel like, let me, let me trust myself even more. And, and so there is this idea of trust too. So I have, uh, you know, the audience can't see this, but I'll read it. I have this on my on my desk and it says, trust, trust the universe has even more in store for you than you can imagine. Trust the divine timing. Trust your crazy ideas. Trust your wings will grow when you leap. Trust your nature. Trust you've been encoded with a cosmic alarm clock. Trust the signs, symbols, and synchronicity sent to you. Trust the co-conspirators catalyzing your conscious evolution. Trust the perfect unfolding of your understanding and trust your divine connections. So... I, you know, it's like trust and then act accordingly. I, I assume, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but for, for most entrepreneurs... Yeah, you're wrong, Jim. <laughs> that's Jim, a, Jim, no, that's trust your crazy oh, idea. Oh, no, I gotta trust go back. Trust it. <laughs> uh, you know, every entrepreneur has had some some burnout, some depression at times. It's just, it's kind of, it feels like it goes hand in hand with what you try to do. And, and you know, not everything that you do is successful. How do you not let that, uh, you know, affect you so that you don't do go on to the next thing? I think part of that is spiritual practice, but, but what are, what are some thoughts you have on that? Yeah, it's, it's sometimes feels difficult. Uh, it's, but it's, you know, I go back to others that have gone through that and, and see how they've, they've gone through it. Um, to me, depression and, and being down is usually a sign that I'm doing something that I've, I've kind of outgrown or that I'm, I'm bored with or, or is no longer mine to do anymore. Um, so I use that as, you know, if, if it's like a one day thing, then, no, you know, whatever. But if it's if it's an ongoing thing, then, then, yeah, it's time to really examine what's going on. And I do think that it's almost like this this continual cycle um, and an and evolutionary turn and each evolutionary turn, you kind of have to give up something in order to make the next, you know, turn up. And you're also coming back to the things that you loved, especially maybe as a kid. Like, I think there's this golden age of like maybe seven or eight to about maybe six to about 15, where you can look back on what were you interested in and that like, those usually are really key aspects but they're not going to be the exact same. Like I was into, like I wanted to be a professional hockey player and a cartoonist in the off season. Uh, and I'm not a professional hockey player, but, but the journaling, the cosmic journal and the cards, like my artwork and even involved enterprise was the first time I, I put my doodles out in there and it started coming back. And then it like opened up a whole nother thing for me. 
And so like this continual evolutionary turn. So I come back to that art and that expression uh, in, in a whole new way. We just have a few minutes left and I just want to, uh, uh, there's so much that I want to talk to you about, but one of the things is, um, you know, if you don't work for somebody else, I mean, if you do work for somebody else and you're not an, un, you know, so-called so entrepreneur, how can you apply this to, to what you're doing? Well, number one, you have so much other time, right? Like even if you're working 40, 50 hours per week, you have other time that most people are like, oh, I'm just going to hang out and watch Netflix or whatever the case is, or, or scroll through my Instagram feed. And, not, you know, look, there's there's nothing wrong with that. I, I enjoy my, some of my shows on Netflix too, but I always tell my kids like, you know, how much time or how much of your, what are you doing that you're, you're consuming versus creating? And mm. if you actually start looking at where you're happiest, you're mostly, I would, I would bet that you're going to be happier creating. That doesn't mean that, you know, almost no one can be hundred percent creating all the time, but you, you do want to get a, a good ratio. And, and so there's things you can do on the side, you know, what's, what's interesting for you and, and start playing around with that. Like I have a, a book I wrote way back and uh, the principles still apply. There's actually a second edition that someone else uh, took over and, and took the baton. It's called moonlighting on the internet. It's how to make an extra couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars online. And you can do that you know, there, there's so many great ways of doing that, but, but just following what you're interested in usually sparks something and you don't have to make the full on leap into entrepreneurship. Uh, but a lot of times, whatever you start as a side could usually turn into that. Now, what are some final words of advice you'd give for someone on say their spiritual journey? Um, I like to ask small questions at yeah, the end. Right? At he the does, end, of, right at the end, at the end of the uh, interview, so that uh, you know it's uh, you really have to get it in there. Uh, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna turn to another plaque that I have here on my on my on my desk, and uh, it's a little picture I drew of, uh, of the Wizard of Oz, and and I had a little quote for each of the the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodsman and so forth. But the top of it says, "What if there wasn't a wrong decision?" a wrong turn or a wrong choice? What if all roads led to the same place of perfection? Mm -hmm. So, you know, what, what, what if we really, you know, whatever, whatever happened, we're always going to end up in the exact, like, I think there's, you know, there's seven plus billion people on earth. I think there's seven plus billion paths of spirituality, but they all end up in the exact same spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What about a final word of advice that you'd give to an entrepreneur, someone who's just starting out, that uh, you know is uh, is discovering their path and and just trying to figure out what to do first. Find find something that that gets you really really excited and get somebody to say yes to it and then figure out what to do to fulfill on that. So just follow it one step at a time. Yeah, yeah. Imagine that you're in a big deep fog and and most people want to see A to Z, but really you can only see usually like one step, two steps ahead. I mean, start with your vision, start with your intention for sure. Like I'm a big fan of vision and intention, uh, even more so like intention is the biggest thing for me now. And, but you're only going to be able to walk to 50 feet that you can see in the, in the fog. And then you're going to see what, what opens up next. Do you ever do any kind of um, like some people do vision boards and that sort of thing, or kind of lay things out you know, what they, what they want to develop in some way. Is that something you do through journaling or? Yeah, I, I do that through journaling, but I also uh, follow a process. Uh, two of my mentors on this is really funny because they have a similar process and they never met until I introduced them. Uh, a guy named Cameron Harold, who wrote a book called Vivid Vision. 
And so I'm a big fan of the, his visioning process. But then there's another guy named Ari Weinswig, who's a co-founder of Zingerman's, which is a really unique group of, of companies in Ann Arbor. And he has a whole visioning process too. And so I will write and draw and create this vision. Uh, so what, the last one ended in 2020. So I'm in the process of finishing and working on the next one. But it, it really is a bit of this roadmap of where we're going and what's the intentionality and then what does it look like? And, and so I like creating what I call these ecoverses, like this complete interconnected looking ecosystem. So do you do that, do you do that for your personal life and for a business that you're, you're working on? Or is it, uh, how do you apply that? It's more for all, all the businesses. Um, do you do it per business or just generally the things you want to do? It's for all, yeah, it's for everything. It's kind of okay. encompassing. I see. Yeah. And encompass my personal life too, because the mission is encompasses my personal life as well. Um, so there, there's not a separate one for that. But you know, Ari suggests having a separate one for that. So maybe maybe that will be something I, I work on. How you, you believe that your life changes in three ways: from people you meet, books and resources you study, and experiences you have. Yeah. What? Uh, give us a couple of books that have really, if you can take it off of the top of your head, uh, a couple of books that have really impacted you. Yeah, um, so I'll, I'll give you maybe a couple uh, otter ones uh, mm -hmm. that, that maybe not everyone has, has, has heard. One is called, uh, it's by this yogi, Stephen Cope, and he wrote The Great Work of Your Life and is examining the Bhagavad Gita across different people's lives like, like Gandhi, like Harriet Tubman, like Susan B. Anthony, and how that when they found their dharma, how, how their lives really, really took hold. Um, let's see, there's... I always get the name of this book wrong, but it's a guy named Itzhak Bentoff, uh, who was this incredible inventor. And, um, and so he has a book, it's called The Brief Tour of Higher Consciousness by Itzhak Bentoff. And it's designed, it's a little bit like a comic book and, mm. and it's, it's really, really fun. And, but really, really profound. Well, Yannick, it's been a real pleasure to have you on Big Universe. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks, Sarah. Yannick Silver is the creator of the Cosmic Journey Oracle and the author of the book Evolving Enterprise, among many other things. You can find more information about him at yannicksilver.com. For more information about Sarah Bowen, go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got premium video courses. I helped to create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. Thanks, everybody. I'm Jim Lefter, and we'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.